welcome to Building Championship Men. Building Championship Men is sponsored by Life Bridge Academy, or LBA. LBA is a Christian men's character and leadership development program where we want to call men up in life. For more information, contact us via email at drrick at lifebridgeacademy.com. That's drrick, D-R-R-I-C-K, at lifebridgeacademy.com. Now, on to the podcast. Hi, Dr. Rick here. I'm with uh, Drew Smith, one of the founding members of Jubilee Christian Development Corporation, and a man that's responsible for setting Jubilee Services, which is a landscaping business, and LifeBridge Academy on this path. Uh, Drew is a friend of mine, and he's one I can turn to for advice, because I know he will always shoot me straight. So I appreciate Drew taking a moment today to kind of uh, walk us through some things with him. So how you doing, Drew? I'm doing great, Rick, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to share with you today. Amen. So uh, would you like to kind of let us know what you're, you know, how you got where you are today and why you feel the way you feel and what your purpose is? You bet, Rick. I'll try to keep it short, and you can cut me off if I'm talking too much, but I'd like to share a little bit of my background and how did I end up in the last 20 years helping the poor of the world stand on their own feet and find their identity. I think it all started uh, back in uh, oh, 1997 when uh, I sold a business I operated, was looking for my next opportunity, and my family was invited to go on a mission trip to Mexico to help build homes for the poor. I took my whole family, my kids and my wife and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, my son and daughter were six and eight, I think it was. And we spent a long weekend working with a very deserving Mexican family. Uh, in this case, the, it was a single mother with two young girls. And when we got there, she was living under a pallet that had a blue tarp stretched around mm. it and, and a dirt floor. Wow. When it rained, they had a muddy floor. Wow. When it was hot, they had a hot floor. Yeah. Um, and the family worked with us to the best of their abilities. And we, we built a little 16 by 20 home. We might call it a storage shed here in the States. It was hmm. a two by four construction. We put drywall on the inside. It had siding on the outside, three windows and a lockable door, hmm. concrete floor and a, and a sturdy roof. And to them, oh, yes. it was a castle. Yes. Yes. They never had, they never had a place they could call their own. They had to have bought the land, which was a big deal for them. So they were very invested in solving their own problem. They just didn't have any capacity to build on that land. And as I was standing there with my young son, who was about six, we were looking at another family living on the hillside hmm. um, with a family of six or seven. They had a little shack that was maybe 10 feet by 10 feet right. uh, oh. on a, a rugged hillside. They had you know animals walking around. Uh, all of their possessions were in a garbage bag. Hmm. Uh, the entire home smelled like urine on the inside. And my son looked at me and said, Dad, unless you showed me this, I never knew, never would have known that humans live like this and he said uh, you know suddenly now my nintendo doesn't seem so important hmm. and to hear wow. that out of a, yeah hear that out of a six-year-old kid was very transformational for me yeah I and i began to ask myself the question hey i'm doing just fine what do i do to help others uh, other uh, people stand on their feet so they can enjoy um success in life and success is defined as fulfillment not necessarily 
just monetary success. Right, right. And so that began a journey for me to figure out how, how I could do that. And I was involved in many forms of missions to the developing world, medical missions and water missions and, and uh, building construction projects and that sort of thing. And through that process, uh, I found that when people were helped to see how they could stand on their feet economically, they then became empowered to solve all the other problems they faced. All right. That's all and, right. Mm-hmm. and in the developing world, um, I connected with organizations that were called microfinance organizations. They found people in a village who uh, you know, were struggling. Uh, in, in those cases, there's no safety net, so you don't sit back and receive a government check. You starve to death if you do that. You have to go find some form of enterprise. The challenge is they might sell tomatoes in the marketplace or shine shoes or whatever. They could never earn enough to, to sustain a family. So we would show them how to improve their little enterprise. And okay. once they did that, we then gave them access to small loans of 50 to $80. And within six months, they had increased their, their family income by a factor of 10. Uh, can, I ask you something? can I ask you something yeah. on those loans? How did you secure them? I mean, uh, that's a great question. And what these organizations did is they cracked the cultural code mm-hmm. to figure out how to do that. Because if they just gave a loan, it would be viewed as a gift. It would never get paid back. The people would consume the money and it wouldn't go any further. What they found out in, in those circumstances is that People's currency was not cash, but relationship. If you're living in ultra poverty mm-hmm. and you're starving and you go to your neighbor, that neighbor is going to say, I need to find a way to help because I'm going to be in that situation. I'll need their help. Right. And so that relationship was critical and they would never do anything to break that relationship. So what this organization did was they would find a person who who kind of understood that whole little tiny business cycle and was demonstrated and knew how to do it, but they may not have been very successful at it because of lack of training, lack of, you know, capital. Right. But they would say, look, here's what we can do for you. If you can go find six other people that you trust that are doing what you're doing, we'll work with you as a group. Oh. And what they would do is they, they would give the group training. And mm-hmm. then when it was time for loans, each person would be decided how much loan they needed but then everyone in that group had to co-sign for each other. Oh, that's good. And they had they had to create their own leadership team for their own little savings group. They could name it. They had to set up rules for participation. Who could join? Um, they would commonly set up requirements. They had to beat every meeting. They got fined. You know things that that they would be in charge of. So they owned the process. But right. the key was, if one person didn't pay that week, the others had to make that payment, or there would not be any future loans. Okay. And what that did was twofold. One, uh, they made sure that the people who were going to be part of their program were bought into the changes that, that everyone had to make to succeed. And they became like their own little board of directors. Right, right. If they saw someone was struggling, they weren't going to let them die in the vine. They'd step in and help them. Uh, right. Maybe they didn't know, know how to best source the materials or they weren't good salesmen or whatever. The other would step in and say, here's how I do it. And they would help each other. Okay. And they would build on that relational currency. They would they would cancel their ba- their emotional bank account with others if they didn't make a payment. And okay. I remember just one, I don't mean to spend too much time here, but mm-hmm. one great case was I asked one, one of these groups, I think it was in Honduras, um, 
or maybe it was Guatemala. Well, tell me at a time when someone didn't make their payment. They said, oh, Juanita didn't show up for the meeting, and, and we're all, all very worried and concerned that she finally drug in. And we looked at Juanita, and she said, I don't have my payment. And they said, where is it? She said, my husband took all my money and went to the, went to the pool hall. They all, wow. <laughs> they all stood up for the meeting. They marched down to the pool hall. They drug his butt out of that pool hall, turned him upside down till the money fell out, <laughs> collected their payment, went back to their meeting. <laughs> oh, wow. That's great. That's great. <laughs> they were not going to let Juanita fail. Right. And so that, that, that whole story is about understanding the cultural code and how to right. That's right. develop processes that reflect it and work within it. Um, and so that became a key learning for me as uh, I eventually said to myself, why can't this work in my own city? Okay. And after about 10 years of working in the developing world, I came back to St. Louis and started asking the questions, and I partnered with a church in our city. And we sat down and studied the issue, and, and uh, I learned a whole lot about the culture, learned a whole lot about what the cultural code might be, um, what the issues were. And in that case, we determined that the greatest opportunity to serve is serving men in the community because they're, that part of the population generally wasn't contributing to the community. They were the biggest cause of crime. Uh, they weren't supporting their children. Uh, they were leaving you know, homes uh, unsupported. Mm -hmm. uh, they weren't part of the church. And so we, we've made our focus on men in the community and how we can help them uh, transform their lives and find uh, significance in their lives okay. and do things like become fathers, husbands, um, and become uh, agents of change in their community. Okay. And that's, that's we ended up starting Jubilee Services and then LifeBridge Academy that does important work of reaching men's hearts and helping them identify the issues that are keeping them from, from rising to success in life. So have you seen a lot of success uh, from those two programs? Uh, we have, and success is, isn't uh, a fixed point. Success varies tremendously right. by mm -hmm. the person. Uh, I didn't understand that at first, but came to accept that. But yes, we've had we've we've had uh, you know the typical cross section of most of the people we help. Um, they have children that the state's chasing them for child support. Mm -hmm. uh, they have perhaps a felony record. In the past, they might have had addictive issues. And they get to the point where they say, I don't want that life anymore. That's the man that we can help. Right. And we've helped men um, learn what, what it means to be a man. That's what you, you obviously do so well and spend most of your time on what real manhood is about, how they can step up to that. Right. Uh, we've helped them you know, realize that they have a responsibility to themselves, spiritually, to their families and children, to their church and their community. And we help them find ways to fulfill those things, to find real significance, significance and success. And we realize you can't do any of that unless you have the capacity to earn a decent income. Right. So a lot of our work is focused around how can they do that. And we have men who, you know, we're making uh, less than minimum wage who now are, you know, uh, electricians in the electrical union who have started their own businesses, um, who are working for other companies. Uh, but more importantly, they are now an agent of change in their community. They're yes. talking to other men about how they can succeed. They're a role model to their children. They're breaking the cycle of poverty for the next generation. All right, all right. Well, Drew, I have a couple of questions I'd like to ask uh, before we go away. we still got some time, so we're good. Um, 
I would like to ask you, what does it mean to you as a father when you see yourself reflected in your children? <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going to turn that around and say I think the greatest transformations that I've experienced have when, when my children have been a part of my transformation. Right. Like my son saying to me, Dad, I never would have known people live like this unless you showed it to me. <laughs> that that was transformational for him, but it was also significantly transformational yeah. for me. Especially when he and said, started, yeah. especially when he said that Nintendo is not that important anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's yeah. huge. And, and I, you know, it was it was a shame to me, you know, of all the time I've spent worried about collecting things and and not honoring people. It was really a turning point for me to realize the more important things are. Um, how do you impact people and what legacy are you leaving for others, yes. especially your children? Yes, that is important. Okay. Did I sidestep your question, Rick, or did I give you well, the answer I mean, to uh, Okay. Uh, I just know that like, when I see in my son, for example, some of the good character traits that I have developed, uh, it makes me feel like I'm doing my job as a father, but also it's yes. a joy to yes. know that I've added some, some good to his life. And when, it, when yes. he reflects that, it just makes me say, thank you, Lord. Uh, yes. I did something right in this life. It might have taken me a while, but I got it right eventually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and there's that magic point in life where you shift from giving your children roots mm -hmm. to making that tough step of giving them wings. That's right. But when you can really release them and let them be their own person, and you see them accomplish things that you couldn't, could yes. never accomplish. Yes. I was reading, oh, wow, God, what, what a gift from I, God. I was reading a, a quote the other day that said, fathers can either send their children on a trajectory of success or wound them for life. Oh. That, to me, is the importance oh. of, of the father. Uh, 100%. You know, a man I dearly love, who was one of the first guys I helped, told me as a young, as a young man, he was maybe 18, and his father, who he rarely saw, told his uncle, uh, I'll bet you 20 bucks he'll never make it to age 20. Hmm. I can't imagine a son hearing a father bet against yeah. his own life. Yeah. And that's and how, 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 much dam how much damage that could do to a young man. Well, well, not only that, but I mean, a lot of young men, because of those statements from fathers and uncles and other men, a lot of these young boys growing up, teenagers don't believe they're going to reach 18. Yes. So they go right. through life yeah. not believing, you know, they're going to yeah. be shot, they're going to go to prison or be dead yeah. or whatever. So that's a tragedy. But, and, and I got to tell a story on my good friend Tom Maxwell, who was, the, the, you know, one of the earliest men I work with. And, okay. And I'm so, so proud of him. I learned so much from him. Um, when I first began working with him, I said, Tom, how much do you want to earn? And he, it took him five minutes to say, well, I, I'd really like to make $9 an hour. Hmm which at the time was just barely over minimum wage. I said, Tom, why don't we think about $15 an hour? And we began down a path of figuring out what skills he had, realized he had good handyman skills, okay. helped him develop a little enterprise. And I remember working with him on a job, um, and he got a call from the school where his son goes. Now, the fact that a man in that community gets called by the school, that they even have the, the father's phone number right. is amazing. That's right. And, then they, and they hear Tom say, I'll be right there. And he, he profusely apologized that he had to leave the job. I said, it's your son, go. Right, right. And an hour later, he showed up with his son in tow. <laughs> and he turned to his son and said, tell Mr. Smith why you're here. And in tears, the son said, 
Well, I was I was suspended from school for fighting, but my dad says fighting's not the way to solve a problem. Hmm. And awesome. I thought, yeah. I thought that was awesome. Awesome. That yes. was transformational yeah. to me to see yeah. that see Tom become a father in action, right? And to become a, a an influence in his kid's life in a positive way. Coming from a coming from his own experiences of neglect by his father right, and right. rejection by his father to become a loving father. And beyond that, he reaches out to his community around his own home and reaches out to the kids. He's one of the few men present in that community hmm. and becomes a magnet for all the kids. And he sits down with the boys and says, tell me about your daddy. Where is he? And you know, his stories. I'll talk to him about what real men are. And he's a he's an agent of change in that community. Hmm. Um, that that's how the kind of yes, things yes. I want to be a part of. Yes, and I want awesome. to see change happen. Well, I guess that kind of leads to this other question: What do you believe is the most important thing a dad can teach his children? To know God. Hmm. Someday I won't be around, but God will. <laughs> Someday they'll be in a situation where they can't talk to me, but they can talk to God. Hmm. Someday they'll be faced with tough challenges questions that are really hard to answer and God will be there for them wow I may not know the answer but God does and yeah. they can even listen if, and talk and even respond. if I'm here I might not know the answer so yes you're right about yeah, that yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, yeah. okay and lastly why is the church important to the overall life of a man oh that's a great question because the church is centric in the community it's the one place where People can come together with a common desire to know and love God, to understand what what a man of God looks like and lives like, to be around others who also are seeking the same thing. Mm. Because the world is like a giant magnet pulling us in the wrong direction. The church can be an anchor that helps us keep us anchored against that force of evil in life. Wow, that's a great answer. And, and, yeah. and without, without men present in those churches... How can they ever serve hmm. young men, boys? How can the, the women in this church be served appropriately without the presence of men who are men of God doing the right thing? Wow. That is awesome, Drew. Thank you. Thank you. Do uh, you have any closing comments you want to make or anything you want to felt like you left out you want to throw in? Well, Rick, I just want to say that uh, I, I am so appreciative of your wisdom and your work. Uh, your passion for helping men what, uh, learn what what real men of God are and your skill at which you can communicate that to others and to me. Uh, you're yeah. an asset to me, too. I appreciate Love you that. as a friend and a brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It, it's really a joy to work with you. Uh, I, I would I would add that when I first met Drew, Drew is very demanding on you know what he sees as the right or wrong to do way to do things. And he told me, uh, if ever I get too overbearing, just tell me to stop. And so by the second meeting, I told him, okay, that's enough, Drew, stop. And, <laughs> and he did. However. For about two minutes. Yeah. yeah <laughs> however, we've, we've learned to both trust and appreciate one another, to respect one another, what we bring to the table. And it's always good to have somebody uh, who brings something different to, from, to the table than you do. Uh, yeah. And a different perspective. And so... Like I said, it's been an honor to be able to talk with Drew and to uh, uh, pick his brain on some things and to hear his advice. 
and to know that he's a man that's solidly grounded in God. And I love him for that. So thank you, Drew. I appreciate the time. And I appreciate you. Okay. We'll talk to you later. Bye. We hope you got a winning tidbit today. Something that will help you build that championship character. Look for our next podcast coming soon. Again, you can contact us via email at drrick, D-R-R-I-C-K, at life, L-I-F-E, bridgeacademy.com. And men, keep stepping up.